Welcome to Romancing Nancy Drew Party, people. I'm your host, Andy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at Andy Nickerson on Twitter, or you can follow me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you are so inclined. I've been trying to think of a fucking tagline, but it's like Romancing Nancy Drew, the podcast where if Nancy and Ned aren't banging, we're going to find a situation where they totally fucking would have. This week's episode, we are at the end of season seven, actually, and this is in the Nancy Drew Files. This is number 15. The the name of this one is Trial by Fire, which I think that you know this about me now. There are two things that make a good Nancy Drew book. One of them is our Nancy and Ned and their relationship and just enjoying each other to their fullest potential. And two, is the mystery any good? You know what my priority is here. You know it. Like, seriously, if Nancy and Ned actually had sex in a book, I'd be like, I don't even care if there was a mystery. (laughs) Please tell me that that was just the lie that they told Carson so that they could get away together. Speaking of Carson, this book has a lot to do with Carson. So at all times, picture John Hamm, maybe with a bit of salt and pepper going on, just rocking it. So this book, we're still in 1987. Let me go ahead and let's do our cover description. So Nancy has far more blonde hair than she sometimes does. Um, I think that we've talked about this, but in the original mystery stories, Nancy was always blonde. And then when a cover artist changed her hair to kind of reddish, they went with it. The Nancy Drew Files kind of does the same thing where in the text, she's always described as reddish blonde or strawberry blonde, but on the covers, she vacillates between like pure blonde and just flat out red. So there are some books, especially in like the twenties and thirties of the files where it's just like flat out red. This book, though, she's blonde. She is wearing, like, kind of relaxed clothes. She's wearing a blue button-down cardigan, but it's not a button-all-the-way-up cardigan. It's like a half-button cardigan, and she's wearing blue slacks that uh, that match it exactly. And she has her hand to her chest as though somebody's just told her something that she ain't here for. <laughs> the middle ground is a cocky blonde guy sitting on a cab grinning at us, the readers. And in the background is Nancy in a cage. <laughs> Which is a legit thing that happens in this book. So strap in, y'all. You're going to need it. This book opens with Nancy, Ned, and Bess in a car. And they are on the way back from dropping George off at the airport. And Bess is just chortling with glee over the fact that her, her, um, listen to me, her cousin is having to go to a wedding of one of her cousins. So with the implication that it's not one of Bess's cousins, um, because George apparently promised that she would be a bridesmaid, but she did not think that her cousin would force her to make good on that promise. So she is on her way to Texas with a big old bridesmaid dress and just this coral color, all sorts of flounces that Bess is like, I would have loved to be a fly on that wall. So George ain't here for that shit. They're driving George's car actually because, plot twist, Ned's car was stolen last week. And that's like, I don't know why the fuck anybody would steal that car. It's five years old. It has a rip in the upholstery in the back seat. And Nancy's like, yeah. And, and there's that nail polish on the passenger side dashboard from that time I tried to fix my nails in a moving vehicle. Which makes me imagine it like Buster's car on Arrested Development when like it's got the nail polish that was all over the driver's, the, the passenger seat. And it's got that big old rock with the fossil in the back seat. Yeah, the family car that that Michael tried to kidnap Rosa in. Yes, it's kind of like that, but it's been stolen, so we can't enjoy it. We also have no idea what the fucking model is or make or anything like that. We just know that 
it's apparently a cute little car. As always, you know that Nancy is driving her fucking Mustang. In the files, you can depend on that. There ain't much, but that's one of the things. Um, so yeah, they're on their way back from dropping George off the airport, and they decide to stop at a pizza place. Because of course they do. Like, if there's one thing these bitches love in the files, is some fucking pizza. So they stop, get parked, get out of the car. Best spots, like, some sandals in a store window. And Nancy and Ned are walking over to the pizza place when they see, like, there's an electronic store with a bunch of TVs in the window. Which I was thinking, and I was like, I've seen this in pop culture. I've seen this in movies. Recently, I don't think I've seen a wall of TVs in a shop window. Like, that just ain't a thing right now. Um, But it's a news report, and Nancy sees her father walking down the courthouse steps in handcuffs. So she and Ned, of course, run into the shop and they're like, are you here to buy? And Nancy just walks over and turns up the volume on a TV because she's like, fuck off. My father, the inventor of Toaster Turtle, is in trouble. So I'm going to try to say this correctly because it's a little bit complicated. Carson is being accused of bribery. He's being accused of offering a judge $10,000 because he wants to quash an order asking his client to reveal her source. Carson's client is Ann Granger, who is a black woman reporter who works for the River Heights Morning Record. So, Ann Granger did a story about insurance fraud. The name of the company that was involved in the fraud is called Mid-City Insurance Company. She found out that they were not actually insuring anything. Like, there's they're not doing anything. They're not real. It's just a PO box and an answering service. Um, so Anne has been ordered to reveal the name of her source and Anne has said no. So that's where we're at. Carson was defending her against the charge and now Carson's been accused of bribery. So, um, Nancy of course can't eat. Like she's like, I have to go to my dad immediately. And it says in the book that, um, Ned, if he'd been a second later, she would have just fucking left him behind because she is dead set on getting to the courthouse. So, so they head across town to the courthouse. Yes? No? I don't, I don't fucking know how they handled this. I'm trying to think about it because I don't know. They must be in the Mustang. They must be. I think that Ned wanted, um, Ned's going to borrow George's car while she's out of town, (laughs) which implies a level of intimacy that, I think it's interesting among their friends group where it's, anyway, it's fine. Seriously, to just hand somebody your keys and be like, I'm going to be out of town, just have fun. But it is Ned, you know, it's Ned. It's going to be fun. If it were Nancy, you would think twice about it because she's going to get that shit wrecked. So they go to the courthouse. They, um, actually one of the like deputy sheriffs or whatever the fuck is there recognizes Nancy and is like, oh, okay. Yeah, you can see him. Like, Fug protocol. So they go back and they see him and Carson's like, I'm I'm sorry that you're seeing me like this. Um, we're about I'm they've taken me into custody, they're gonna do a bail hearing, blah blah. Nancy's like, What the fuck is going on? Like what in the actual fuck? Somebody needs to tell us something. So Carson gets booked, he's released on bail. So they go over the facts of the case. Um Ann Granger is there too. Um Nancy noticed her on the news report because she's like, That's my dad's client and um so she's there and she's telling Carson, she's like, cause Carson says, oh, I, you know, you're probably going to want to get yourself another attorney. And she's like, bullshit. You're the best, which he is. I mean, you ain't wrong. It's John Ham. Like he's invented toaster strudel. He can do no wrong. Even if he had hooks for hands, he's, he's going to rock it. So, um, yeah. So Anne's like, I'm going to stand by my 
hook-handed man. It's fine. Um, Nancy, of course, wants to figure out what the fuck's going on because she's like, well, I know that you didn't do this, so I'm going to figure out what's happening here. And Carson's like, we're, we're dealing with organized crime. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out here. That's, that's what's going on here. Like, just be super fucking careful. So, so after they're released, Nancy drops Bess and Ned off and takes Anne and her father to the morning record office so that Anne can pick up her car. Okay. I'm assuming they're on the Mustang at this point because when they get there, Carson has to get out of the car so that Anne can get out of the back seat. And I was like, correct. However, that's putting five adult human beings in a Mustang. We have discussed this configuration before. It ain't a good one. <laughs> the back seat of a Mustang is meant for one person whose comfort you are not that deeply interested in. Or a large dog. A large to medium dog would also work. Anyway, they get out of the car. Um, Anne seems to be having trouble unlocking her door to her old, big old Ford truck. Um, Nancy turns on her high beams and sees a shiny box on the muffler. And so she freaks out, runs over, tackles Anne, and her car explodes. So that's cool. This is how you know that this is going to be just going 60 miles an hour the entire time. If not 120. Let's just double that shit. So... Nancy, um, like, bruises some ribs, but she's otherwise fine. They want to keep Anne in the hospital overnight. Carson was just knocked down like he's fine, so it's okay. They take him home. Um, <laughs> Nancy wakes up the next morning, and she's like, oh, my God, I, I overslept. And Hannah's like, you needed it. You got knocked on your ass by a car bomb. Like, give yourself a fucking break. Is it a pandemic? No, but it's a fucking car bomb, so. So she tries to call Anne. Anne's in the hospital. She doesn't want to be there. She's under police. Um, she's not under police like surveillance. She's under police guard because they don't want anybody to get to her because clearly somebody tried to blow up her fucking car. So, yeah. So Anne tells Nancy, well, I want you to go to the, there's like this old repertory. I think this is what they're, how they refer to it in text, a theater across town that shows like old movies all the time. And she wants Nancy to go there because her source called her and left a muffled message on her answering machine saying that she wanted to meet her, that the source wanted to meet her to give her some more information about the case. So Anne can't go because she's stuck in the hospital with a police guard, so she tells Nancy to go. Nancy did ask about the source because, of course, this is what Anne's being asked to reveal. And Anne said, I actually don't know who it was. They left a recording like, they left a voicemail. Well, it wouldn't have been a voicemail at this point. It would have been an answering machine message. They left a message. I heard it. Um, I tracked it down. And Nancy's like, what exactly did the message say? And the message was about Mid-City Insurance Company, just to check them out and see, like, basically if they were real or not. Um, the voice also gave her a tip about Crimson Oaks. Like, she heard that on the message, but she never actually tracked it down. When Anne did research into it, of course, she found out that it was basically a one-person answering service and a P.O. box, and so the answering service person would just accept the mail and then forward it to a different box. They were getting mail from three different companies, and so those would be people that were defrauded by the insurance company, basically, because there was no insurance company. So if they tried to contact somebody, like, nobody would do anything about it, so... Anne's like, that would be an interesting story. But Nancy's point, and 
when I started reading this, I was like, that is a good point. Why the fuck now? Like, Anne's stories have already been written. Um, the people who are in charge of that place have been, like, they're going through their trial right now. So, you know, what's the point in asking her to reveal her source at this point? Like, it's, it's basically taken as fact. Her investigation revealed that, yes, in fact, they were not, like, a legitimate company. So, so it's just weird timing. Ned also discovers that the judge who is accusing Carson of trying to bribe him is Judge Jonathan Rank. And Nancy, as soon as she hears that, says, bullshit. And Ned's like, why are you saying bullshit? And Nancy says, because he's been my family friend for like 20 years. Like, before I was even born, he was friends with my dad. They played poker together together every week. Like... I know he's been have, going through some hard shit since his wife died last year, but he, there is no fucking way. Just, this has to be some huge misunderstanding. Also, um, they have Carson's voice on tape offering the bribe. So there's that. They have an envelope with the money in it that had Carson's fingerprints on it. And Carson's like, he's, he's like, I know how this looks. John Hamm, he's being smoldery. I know how it looks but I did not do this. And Nancy's like, of course you didn't do this. Like, there's never any doubt whatsoever in her mind. Her father did not do this. So she calls the judge's house and tries to get an appointment. And the housekeeper's like, oh, he's just worried sick over this. And he's, he's like, just devastated. Nancy's like, I need to talk to him because he can help me figure out what's going on here. And she's like, well, I'll, I'll get him to call you. And Nancy's like, you better fucking do that. Cause I got shit to do, but she hasn't yet had the, had an opportunity to talk to him. Um, and tells her that the meeting's at 1230 at the movie theater. Let's circle back to that. So Nancy gets dressed really quick and runs over there. It's a Laurel and Hardy movie and which I had the weird feeling of like, do they make the people in books also use public domain shit for these reasons? So they don't like, that doesn't make any sense. Referring to a movie is not going to get you slapped with a copyright infringement lawsuit, but it's fine. So Nancy's sitting there watching Laurel and Hardy and she's enjoying the fuck out of it, which I'm like, sure you are, hun. I mean, y'all were practically contemporaries when somebody comes up behind her and holds a gun to the back of her head and is like, you're not Anne Granger, but you'll do. And they hustle her out of the movie theater, get her into the backseat of a car. Like she's blindfolded. She's got, her hands are bound. Um, she's like, this car is dirty, (laughs) which I think is fucking hilarious as shit. She's like, if a bitch is going to kidnap me, I want that car to be clean. Like, put some thought into it, make it nice, put some potpourri around, maybe some scented candles, just make it an event for all of us, balloons, so anyway, she gets into the back of the car, um, she hears the person, she hears a CB radio, she hears the person driving the car make, like, call into a dispatcher, and they say, hey, Wes, and the person goes, don't, she's, she's not deaf, she can hear us, don't, don't use names, and they're like, oh, okay, well, well, she's in the back of the car, Nancy, of course, because we're all taking notes here, all of the nine-year-olds who are reading this are taking notes, Nancy manages to work the blindfold off. She manages to get her hands in front of her by manipulating, and the person's like, if you keep moving around like that, like, we're going to pull over, and Nancy's like, mm, and, and just keeps going. She gets her hands untied. 
she sees that they're pulling up to an intersection and she manages to get out of the car. She slams the door onto the, the driver's fingers when he tries to get out to get her and so, and she runs away. She looks around. She's not actually that familiar with the the part of town that she's in, but she flags down a cab and sees it's a Gold Star Cab Company cab. And the guy driving it has the bluest eyes she's ever seen. She's like, I mean, that is the hottest, as hot as breakfast, but this guy, like, he's doing things right. I'm taken, but I'm just saying. Best is available. <laughs> Best is always available. <laughs> So, um, when she gets in the car and the cabbie calls into the dispatcher, the voice sounds exactly the same. So initially she had said to take her back to the theater. And so she's like, if the voice is exactly the same and they hear of somebody picking up a fare around the same place, they're going to know it's me. So she changes her mind and tells him to drop her off somewhere else. So she makes it there. Um, she's not quite sure what to make of all this. Like she never got any... Oh, the one thing that she did over here whenever the person kidnapped her was that they were planning to use Nancy as leverage to get her father to reveal the source, like to call up Anne and say, look, my daughter's life is being threatened. Please tell me the name of your source so that I can get her back. So that's what they were, that's what they're concerned about. They want to know the name of Anne's source. They want to plug that leak. So now Nancy knows that. Now Nancy knows that if her father's in danger, that somebody might kidnap her just to fuck with him. So it's always good to have knowledge. It is. Especially if it involves Ned and how he looks naked. So side note, um, Ned is home from Emerson for two weeks. And I'm like, sure, honey, that's sure. That's what we're going to call it. Um, But he's decided that he wants to take a, like a short-term job. It's... You know, I don't actually know if they talk about what season it is during this book. Um, this was set like mid-1987, and I think that it was probably summer. I want to think that it was. So, Ned's home on a break. Side note, my headcanon is always that whenever Ned is like, oh, I need to get a job for a couple weeks just to make some extra money, that he's putting the money away for an engagement ring. Always. This is why Ned works so hard. This is why he's like, I need to work at the insurance company, even though there's somebody there is going to frame me for murder. Spoiler alert. Um, yeah. So, just so that you know that that's where my head's at. Ned's working it to get his girl a ring. Anyway, um, he asks at the pizza parlor. They're not hiring. Um, yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm going to find some place around town that I can, you know, just work for a couple of weeks. Get you something pretty, something sparkly. So, Nancy, after the whole attempted kidnapping, um, <laughs> well, I mean, it was partially successful. I'll give them that. I was wondering why they didn't put her in the trunk of the car, but I'm sure that would have been noticeable. That's fine. So, Nancy gets a call. I think she calls Hannah, and Hannah tells her that Judge Rink is available to talk to her. That or she calls Judge Rink's house directly. I can't remember which one. But anyway, so she gets there. There's a stack of reporters out, outside the front gates who are just sitting there waiting for all this shit to go down. Um, Nancy goes around back. I think actually Bess is with her at this point. I think Bess had to come pick her up. Yeah, yeah, Bess actually went and picked up the Mustang. <laughs> for reasons. So that Nancy would actually have a car. Um, so yeah, they go over to Judge Rink's house. Judge Jonathan Rink. He is sitting in his study. He's a small man, but he seems shrunken as though he's, his clothes fit him as though he's lost a lot of weight recently. Like, 
He's just looking diminished. I'll put it that way. He's also looking like he's not feeling all that well. Um, in the text, it says basically that Judge Rank was treating Nancy's father as like a a son. So to assume that he's probably like retirement age would be appropriate. Plus his wife died of cancer the previous year or so, which again is not necessarily an indicator of anything. But so um, Nancy goes in to talk to him and he says, she's like, you know, he didn't do this. And he's like, well, it'll, it'll all come out when, you know, during the trial. And Nancy's like, but you know, he didn't do this. Like he, he would never have bribed you. He's not that kind of person. You know him. He wouldn't have done this. And Judge Rink is like, well, I'm sure, you know, the evidence against him will fall apart. And she's like, including the recording of the conversation. And he says, what are you talking about? And Nancy's like, they're saying there's a tape of him talking to you and offering you the bribe. And that's when he looks away and he's like, I can't do this. And Nancy's like, can't do what? And he's like, I'm going to make this right. Like, your father's a good man. He doesn't deserve this. And Nancy's like, tell me everything. And the guy goes, Judge Rank goes, I know there are cops outside. Go grab a cop. I want to, like, make a clean breast of it. So Nancy um, leaves. She had been talking to the housekeeper who was like, I'm going to make him something to eat. And because he's entertaining, maybe he will actually eat something. So she's coming up with soup, and Nancy's like, go ahead and take it to him. Like, he, he might actually eat something. I think he's feeling a little bit better. And then a shot rings out. And the housekeeper drops her tray, and there's soup everywhere. And she's like, the judge shot himself. This is why the files are just so fucking interesting to me. Murder. Murder. Uh, pretty much a whim. Nancy runs, grabs the cop, they come back in, um, and he's dead. He is indeed dead. He did not shoot himself. There's a bullet hole in the window behind him, and that was clearly the entry point, not the exit point. The gun is not with him, so. So, yeah, he's dead. He's fucking dead. He was about to tell Nancy what was going on, and he's fucking dead now. So, Nancy just sits there, and she's like, what the living... Like, now she knows that it was a setup. I mean, she knew that all along, and she knew that Judge Rank apparently was in on it somehow, which, again, like, what the fuck? They They were best friends. This is real, real bad. So, yeah. Nancy decides that she wants to figure out what the fuck's going on because it doesn't make any sense that he would be shot right as he was about to reveal what was going on. So she says, "Mm, maybe there's a bug in here. So she goes to talk to the housekeeper who was laying down because it's been a day. You ain't wrong. And the housekeeper's like, Nancy's like, did you let anybody in to um, work on the telephone lines? And she's like, no, no, nobody, nobody. And Nancy's like, okay, no un." explained visits, nobody like knocked on your door for like a service call. And she's like, no, no. I mean, like there was this one guy from the cable company and Nancy's like, that's exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. So she says that the, the cable repair man, and she says that he was dressed appropriately, like he was wearing the right color of clothes and everything, um, came to the door and said that some kids down the block have been messing with the lines and they wanted to make sure that the pay channels were okay or some bullshit. So Nancy goes to check the cable box and first she calls the cable company to confirm that no, they did not actually send a tech out there for that reason. I love how it's like after a couple of minutes of conversation, I'm like four hours later because they can put your ass on hold. But again, this is 87. They were probably local. Um, So after she does that, she inspects the cable box and she finds a very small um, listening device. 
So there's that. So Nancy goes back to ask the housekeeper. She's like, was there a name on the side of the van? Was there anything that you can remember about it? And she's like, it was just like this dirty white van. Oh, but it had a bent fender on the front. Like it ripped some of the rose bushes when they were leaving. And Nancy's like, cool. Okay. White van, bent front fender. Sure. Okay. Makes sense. So after they're finally calling it for the night, Nancy and Bess get in Nancy's Mustang. And of course, behind them, they find the white van who was trying to run them off the road. So Nancy gets Bess to motion to, they, they're on the interstate at this point. Nancy gets Bess to motion to a trucker so that she can get right in front of the trucker so that the white van can't get behind them. And they end up eluding the white van that way. And when Nancy tries to follow them, of course, she doesn't get anywhere because it's too early in the book for us to know who, which people this van belongs to. So, so Nancy needs to figure out what the fuck is going on. Like, why is it important what the, who the source was if the mystery is resolved? And then she's like, then it's not. So we have to figure out what the fuck is going on, like, because this was apparently just one piece of the overarching thing. So Anne Granger decides to poke into what's going on. Like, she actually does get released from the hospital, and she's like, this is all bullshit, blah, blah. Um, Nancy does tell her, she's like, look, if you want me to basically take over the investigation, Anne's like, you know what? No. My parents march for civil rights, and I am going to uphold my First Amendment rights by pursuing this case. And I was like, Ghost Rider, you're doing a lot of things right. I enjoy it. I mean, if you could get Nancy and Ned to just, I don't know, get to third, I would enjoy it. But anyway, so Nancy's talking to Anne, and Anne says that she started to do a little bit of digging on Gold Star Cab Company because, of course, Nancy noticed when she was in the cab that the dispatcher sounded the same as the dispatcher who was talking to her kidnapper. So, Gold Star Cab Company was one of the th- three clients of Mid-City Insurance Company. So, there's that. Also, um, Gold Star Cab Company is one of the cab companies that's used by Crimson Oaks. Crimson Oaks is a retirement community in, on the other side of River Heights. There are 17 sides of River Heights, all of them different, magical, and mysterious. This is the retirement home side. Um, so remember earlier, Anne had gotten a tip about somebody at Crimson Oaks could maybe help her out. So she, she never actually followed up on it. Nancy says, okay, um, let me do that. So she and Ned go out there, because of course they do. And they find out that there's a woman named Vera who was in an accident in a Gold Star cab. And so she's at physical therapy. Gold Star is paying for her physical therapy out of pocket because it was their fault. The brakes on the cab failed and that was what caused the accident. So she got fucked up pretty bad. And like physical therapy and she's just miserable when she comes back from it. So so Nancy's like, you mean their insurance company? And the person who was giving her the information, who was like the doorman in the building, is like, no, the cab company is paying out of pocket for this expense because it was their fucking fault. And Nancy's like, okay, so that means that Gold Star, because this this happened like last year, this means that Gold Star knew that Mid-City was not real because if they had tried to file their insurance claim, nothing would have happened. Like, yeah. So they would have, like, screamed bloody murder, but clearly they knew that Mid-City was not real. So there's that. Um, Anne had also turned up that 
the Grey Panthers, which is apparently the local retirement organization, had given Gold Star, like, citations for being awesome to senior citizens or some shit. So at Crimson Oaks, they actually have a phone there that's like a direct line to Gold Star. And so Nancy asks about it, and they're like, oh, yeah, you don't use that unless you're desperate, because they're kept their actual, like, absolute shit. Just terrible, like, not maintained, like, basically death traps. And Nancy's like, this is all fucking fascinating. Okay, okay. So, Nancy decides that she needs to go undercover at the cab company. But she also knows that somebody involved with the cab company apparently tried to kidnap her. So, she decides to go undercover. When she shows up to ask for a job, she is wearing a mahogany curly wig. Because, of course, she has big old glasses, and she's snapping gum, and she's wearing an oversized outfit, like baggy jeans, to to keep her slender figure under wraps, of course. So she walks in and is talking to Brownlee, who is the dispatcher, and she's like, I'm, I'm a dispatcher. I've been a dispatcher for like two or three years, I, you know, uh, he, you know I've, I can give you references. And he's like, well, we don't need a dispatcher. We need a driver. And Nancy's like, I don't have a hack license, which I do love that they're doing that. Like she doesn't say I have a, I don't have a cab driver license. She's like, I don't have a hack license. And he's like, we can, we can get that figured out for you. What's your name? And her response is Nancy Nickerson. Listener, I died the first time I read the book. The second time I read the book, every single fucking time I've read this book, every single time she's like, gives her name as Nancy Nickerson. I'm like, yes, my heart grew three sizes that day. So She's just casually giving her married name as her alias. Um, She says, let me find my ID. So she starts digging through her comically oversized, quote unquote, purse. And the guy's like, no, no, it's okay. I'll just write it down. He takes a picture of her to put on her cabbie license. He's like, I'll have it figured out by tomorrow night. Because she's going to work like the 4 to 11 shift or some bullshit. So Nancy's got a job as a cabbie. So that's cool. So that way she can poke around. Um, while she's talking, like he, he goes to talk to somebody else for a minute. So she looks around and she remembers seeing the stats that they have 10 cabs. But when she looks around, there are like at least 13 cars that she can see. Also, because she had been told that all the cabs that they had were like death traps. She's looking specifically to see if they look like they're in disrepair. And many of the cabs that she's seeing are look like brand new. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So, um, let me see. I don't know. This thing is just like a thrill ride. It's, um, it's going a mile a minute. It's fine. Nancy finds out that her father's trial is like four days later, like the pre-trial hearing, which is when people bring all their evidence up and see if they're going to actually bound him over for trial. So that's kind of her deadline. She wants to get everything resolved before then because that would make things nice and tidy so that he, you know, he doesn't have to defend himself at trial and all that. Um, let me think. Nancy tries to track down Vera. She finds out that Vera is getting treatment at like, it's called like Pine Lawn. It's the fancy hospital for rich people. So that's where she's going for her physical therapy. Um, but whenever Nancy tries to call her and, and Anne Granger tries to call her too and ask her like, what was your experience? What happened? Um, she's too afraid to talk to her. So Nancy's like, that's not great. Okay. Nancy and her friends go to Judge Rink's funeral, and Nancy has mixed feelings because, of course, this guy accused her dad of bribery and then conveniently died. 
but at the end there, he was, he was trying to pull it back out, so maybe, just maybe. Um, Nancy and Ned go to his office, and Ned gives Nancy a nice long hug, and they make out for a little bit in his, in his study, because this is appropriate. This is where a man died. We need to make out here. This will make all the bad spirits leave. Like, it'll cleanse the room. That's, that's what we're here for. We cleanse rooms by making out. Um, so Nancy's talking to Ned and she's like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I just don't understand it. I don't understand how this could have happened. And Ned's like, well, he was probably being blackmailed. And Nancy's like, true, true. I mean, like, I know that there were listening devices. She actually called the cops over and had them collect the listening devices. So the cops know about it as well. Um, but Nancy and I get to talking and... There's one picture that Nancy sees that's hanging in his study, and it's of the judge and his late wife. They are clearly, like, at the rest, the hospice care or the hospital where she died. And there's some people in the background, and Nancy recognizes one of them as somebody who was involved with Gold Star Cab Company. She's pretty sure he's the guy who kidnapped her. And she's like, cool, what, what is happening? Hmm. Then Nancy and Ned decide to go through his financial records. So they pull open his desk and pull out all of the financial records that he was keeping. They pull out his bank statements. Nancy's like, is, is he like that $10,000 that it appeared to have come out of his account? And Ned's like, no. Nancy's like, was he being paid to do this? Are there payments that are going in? And Ned's like, no. Um... Ned's looking over the paperwork and he says he took out loans like with this house as collateral. So he pulls out everything and he's like, he was borrowing like tens of thousands of dollars. It's been paid back, but like it's it's just a little bit unusual. And Nancy's like, when was this happening? And Ned's like, over the past year. She finds out from Carson, actually, who was at the wake that they weren't playing poker anymore, that he apparently just hadn't shown up for poker night since his wife died, and that was a year ago, and Mrs. O'Hara's like, what do you mean, like, he was still leaving the house at the same time every week, and I, you know, I didn't question it, because he always had, and Carson's like, well, whatever he was doing, it wasn't playing poker, so based on all this, Nancy's like, okay, so something happened, he was being blackmailed, that's why he wanted to frame my dad for this, it's just as part of this blackmail, but I don't know what he's being blackmailed over, like, he was, before this happened, I would have said that he was just, you know, beyond reproach, and that's like, yeah, I mean, who knows, so, Nancy has to go to work, um, I want to say, does she get any threatening messages in this one, you know, she probably does, but, uh, you know, it's just par for the course, honestly. Whenever Nancy gets a threatening message, she's like, I eat this shit for breakfast, so just fuck off. Nancy goes to her job at the cab company. She's not recognized. The hottie with the blue eyes is there, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'm taken, but it's fine. Um, By someone with my last name. It's as though we're married now, because I've said that his last name is mine. It's some obscure Scottish thing. We're handfast now. I've been listening to a lot of Outlander. <laughs> so, um, Nancy shows up for her shift. She, um, when she drives by, she spots that the guy who she's pretty sure kidnapped her is there and she doesn't want him to see her. So she says that she's picked up a fare and she goes and like fakes that when she comes back, he's still there, but she doesn't like, she manages to avoid him just enough. 
Also, Brownlee, the guy who's doing the dispatching, says that after her shift, she should take her car and run it through the car wash next door. He's like, if it looks dirty or anything, just run it through. It'll be fine. So, Nancy's like, okay, that, you know, nothing seems particularly unusual about that. Like, you know, wash it off before you go on your shift the next day. It's fine. So, she's decided that she wants to poke around some. She gets a locker. Like, she brought a pillow to sit on because bitch thinks ahead sometimes. And so she wants to stow the pillow in her locker and she goes to, to pick one out and she sees a bunch of names crossed off previous lockers and one of them is Tyler. And she's like, that name sounds familiar. I'm going to make a note. Um, she wants to poke around some. She notes that Jim is actually doing the same thing. He's also looking around and looking kind of sketchy, much the same way that she is. And so Nancy's walking and she sees Jim and he's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, what are you doing here? And then there's a voice behind her and Nancy practically jumps out of her skin and it's like, what are both of you doing here? <laughs> and Nancy's like, what the fuck? And then she's like, oh, this is my boyfriend. And I'm like, y'all pass that now. You've taken his name. <laughs> y'all are together now. Um, Ned has taken a job at the car wash because again, he's only got two weeks and it's fine. He's, she's like, what are you wearing? He's like a uniform. And I'm like, why did not y'all not just turn this into some sort of sexy game where it's like, what are you wearing? And why is it not on the floor? But Ned's like, yeah, I've been working at the car wash. So Ned reports that the weird things happening at the car wash include, but are not limited to after like one o'clock in the morning, like things get super busy and they run a bunch of cars through and they're all the cabs from the cab company. And Nancy's like, we were told to wash our cabs after our shifts so they look dirty. Why would you be running them through again? And that's like, I don't know. I sincerely don't know. It's just real weird. Real, real weird. The other um, company that is taking up space in the same building is Fleet Messenger Service. So Nancy decides that she wants to poke around a little bit. Ned says that he has to, like, he's on his break from work. He has to go back and report in. So he says, let me go do that, and then, like, we can hang out. We can go check out what's going on over here. Nancy walks by and sees Philip Reston, who is the guy who she's pretty sure kidnapped her. Um, She sees him walking over to his car. So she goes over to check out whatever's in his car, just in case it's important to the case. And she sees a bunch of blank hack licenses, which makes sense because Nancy was given one of those. Um, she clearly has not passed any sort of testing whatsoever because she was complaining to the dispatcher. She was like, it takes a long time and there's a lot of, and you have to pay to earn a hack license. And he's like, nah, man, we got you. So she's like, okay, blank hack licenses, which indicates that somebody in that particular office, like there's apparently a hack licensing bureau as part of the city government. She's like, okay, so somebody in that office is being paid off, so that's good to know. She also sees a box that's marked Nature Under Glass Fragile, and she's like, what is this? But she doesn't get a chance to look inside until after, like, before the guy comes back. Um, In order to hide herself, she gets into the trunk of his car, but does not shut it. Because much like Narnia, everyone knows that when you get into a confined space with a kidnapper, you don't close that thing. You don't close that wardrobe door, and you do not close that trunk lid. So, she only rides in the car for like a block, and then she gets out of the car, and he doesn't notice because he's a dipshit, and it's fine. Um, She goes back, and Ned's like, okay, let's go check it out. And Nancy's like, I kind of walked by, it's fine. The other thing that she has noticed, um, Nancy goes to her father's office, which... I realized after the fact that I had stolen this 
before I read it again, I had stolen her quote-unquote business professional look, which is basically a navy suit with a white silk shirt and pumps and pearls. Like, she looks very conservative, very 1980s business lady. Not wearing Barbie pink because that would be too on the nose. And also strawberry blonde. It might not work, but anyway. So that's what she's wearing. She goes to her dad's office and looks around and she cannot find a bug. She was sure that she was going to find a bug. Like, she found one in the judge's office. It just doesn't make any sense. This would be the way that they would get his voice and they would like splice together something that sounded like he was bribing the judge. Like, she's like, I'm sure that that would happen. Um, also when she was talking to the judge and she said, well, you know, they have your voice, both of your voices on tape with him offering to bribe you, which clearly has to be faked. He's like, she says, so when did he call you? And judge rink is like, oh, well, it must've been like Tuesday. And Nancy's like, he was in a meeting all day Tuesday, like to the point that they had to order lunch to come in. Like he could not leave that room. So try again. And he's like, well, it must've been Monday. And she's like, he never called you. Like, you're making all this shit up. She's very frustrated, which who wouldn't be? It's your dad, and he's fucking with it. Anyway, so she goes to her father's office, and she can't find anything. She can't find anything that, um, there's no reason she asks him about envelopes, and he's like, my secretary handles all that, my administrative assistant. She brings me letters to sign. Um, I don't ever handle envelopes because they found his prints all over the envelope that the bribe money was in. He's like, yeah, I don't ever touch that. So that, I have no idea how they would have gotten that. Um, on his desk, and I love that she goes over his desk and she's like, there's a, a pen in a a wa- an oiled walnut holder. There's a blotter on his desk. There's a calendar. There's no computer. There's no computer on his desk. I love this. I mean, technically he wouldn't need a computer, like probably his secretary would, but he wouldn't necessarily. But I just love that it's like, bitch, I ain't got free cell. I got to just sit here and do law shit. John Ham. Possibly got a, a spare white button down for sex reasons. That's fine. So, so Nancy's looking around and she's like, okay, so I can't find a bug. Okay. She talks to the, um, her father's secretary, Miss Hanson. She's got no idea what's going on. She, you know, there's, there's nothing that she can give Nancy that's really helping her out. And she's like, okay, well that fucking sucks. Um, the one thing that she did notice was that there was a large paperweight on her father's desk. That was a flower with holes for pins drilled into it. So, you could use it either as a paperweight or a pen holder or both, although that sounds a little bit sketch to me, but that's fine. So she does notice that. And there's like a ladybug on it. And she's like, huh, that's cute. Huh. Okay. Sure, it doesn't mean anything. So the next day, Nancy and her friends go out to talk to Mr. Tyler because Nancy finally remembered his name. Mr. Tyler is the name that was on that locker, and she also remembers him from, he was actually an employee of Gold Star, you know, as is obvious from his name being on the lockers, and he's at Crimson Oaks, and so Nancy's like, this feels significant, so she goes to interview him, and she's like, you're the one who called in the tip, and he's like, actually, yes, and Nancy's like, what's going on? Like, why did, what happened? And so he says that he was working for the company for like 15 years. He was their main mechanic. 
then the company was purchased by the two current owners and they stopped maintaining the vehicles, stopped maintaining the cabs. They closed off the bottom level of the parking deck, which is where he used to do his maintenance. So then he had to use part of the main floor. Um, and they just didn't seem to give a fuck about anything. Like they didn't care about maintaining the cabs. They didn't care about like, it just, it just didn't make any sense to him. Um, he went to the licensing bureau. He complained, nothing happened. Like he tried to complain about gold star and nothing happened. And so he said, because again, he's at Crimson Oaks and he knew Vera, he knew that they were having accidents, especially with senior citizens involved, because again, senior citizens are fragile. And if you hit them wrong, they will shatter like glass. So they were having all sorts of issues. And he was like, well, the insurance company would have maybe forced them to do maintenance on their cabs. Like, because clearly this is a liability for them to remain like in compliance. They would have to maintain their cabs and they're not. So there has to be something fishy about that insurance company. So he called in the tip about the insurance company, hoping that that would lead to the cab company being shut down. But when Ann Granger did her story, she basically just focused on, focused on the fact that the insurance company was a scam and she didn't go any further. So he was kind of disappointed in that, but now, you know, people are paying attention. So Nancy's like, oh, okay. Um, and she also spots a picture in his, where he's like on top of his dresser or something. And she's like, Jim, the cute cab guy is in this picture. And so she mentions it to Mr. Tyler and he's like, oh yeah, that's my grandson. And Nancy's like, oh, huh. Okay. Does he know all your suspicions? And Mr. Tyler's like, yeah, he knows. He kind of want, I think he wanted to just take a job for a few weeks and he didn't really care like about life or working breaks or anything. So Nancy's like, interesting, interesting. Okay. Okay. Cool. So Nancy has been trying to call Anne because she wants to give her an update on the case and everything that she's found out and she can't get hold of her. She finally calls Bess because, remember, Anne's car exploded and Bess had volunteered to drive Anne around whenever she needed to go track down clues and shit. So Nancy calls Bess and she's like, hey, have you heard from Anne? And Bess is like, why would I have heard from her? She's your your new best friend. And Nancy's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Bess is like, well, she got a note saying that you wanted to meet her and that she should come alone like I wasn't invited. And so I got butt hurt. And Nancy's like, I didn't leave her a note. And Bess is like, but like a cab pulled up and oh shit, are you serious? And Nancy's like, so Anne's gone. And somebody in a cab picked her up, which means my clever's blown. Like if somebody left a note as me and came by, picked her up in a cab, then they know that I'm there. So awkward. So there's that. So, of course, Nancy and Bess decide that they need to go save Anne. Um, Nancy tries to call Ned, but his phone is apparently off the hook. Remember when that was a thing? So she gets the operator to break in, and there's nobody there. And so Nancy's like, I can't wait. Like, I have to go. I have to go. Her father's trial is, her, his pre-trial hearing, let me be clear, is later that morning. So Nancy really desperately wants to make it with some sort of evidence that she can use. So. She and Bess go down to the Gold Star building, which is where the fleet management is and where the the cab car washing thing is. But the other thing is that before they go down there, Nancy actually stops at her father's office because she's finally figured it out. 
Um, she takes the paperweight and smashes it and finds, she might do this right after, um, the bug was inside the ladybug. They just took the ladybug, put a little listening device in it, and then pushed the ladybug down into one of the pinholes. And so that's how they had him under surveillance. And when Nancy goes out and sees the secretary, the secretary also has one on her desk. And Nancy's like, that's a cute paperweight. Where'd you get that? And she says, oh, well, the fleet courier service was passing around a few months ago. Like, everybody has them. And Nancy's like, define everybody. And she's like, well, everybody in Judiciary Square, like all the all the people who work in this office and the pe- there's a few other lawyers' buildings where they have them. And Nancy's like, really? Really? Fuck. Okay. Okay. That's cool. So, Nancy and Bess go to save Anne. Um, Nancy talks to Mr. Tyler. She calls him up and she's like, is there a way to get into the lower level without like having to use, because there's like a big, big elevator that's probably, that is locked down so they can't get to it. And he's like, yeah, there was a conveyor elevator, which is basically like a moving ladder. And he's like, all you have to do is stand on it and it'll take you up or down depending on which side you're on. But I don't know if it's still working. He says, if it's not working, well, it's, it's turned into a ladder. It's like the Mitch Hedberg thing. An escalator can only temporarily become stairs. (laughs) So, so Nancy gets there. Um, she's got a whistle that, and she tells Beth, she's like, look, if you hear the whistle, then run and go get help. Go get Ned, go, go get somebody to come down here and help me. And Bess is like, look, I love you. I don't want you to be in trouble. I'm going to go with you. I hate everything about this. I need you to know that, but I'm going to go with you. So they head downward into the black pit. So Anne's been kidnapped. Nancy and Bess are looking for her. They go down the conveyor elevator and they're on the ground floor and they see a bunch of cars. Um, While they're in there, Nancy actually overhears Reston, who is the guy who seems to be like the bad person or the worst person among this group saying like, oh, well, um, yeah, this is, this is a great Mercedes. This is going to be great. I think the people who wrote these books had a fetish for Mercedes. It's fine. Maybe just, just product placement as opposed to Jaguar. Although he does actually name drop Jaguar, not Maserati though, because they can burn in hell. So, um, what Nancy figures out when she's listening to this conversation, everything is they are running basically a I don't know if it's exactly a, like, steal-to-order business, but they're stealing cars locally. They are painting them to look like cabs, and then after, like, a few weeks, or as long as it's going to take for the cops to no longer be looking for the car, they run the car through the car wash to get the paint off so it will no longer look like a cab, and I was like, I'm, I feel like I'm going to call bullshit on that because it sounds like the stuff that you put in your hair when you're going to go to the club and wash it out the next day. I feel that probably car paint is not like that, but okay. Um, who knows? Maybe they are just dousing it with glitter. Although, um, Jim tells Nancy that he's heard a compressor in the lower level and it's an air compressor that's used for painting the vehicles. So that's, that's what's been going on. They've been painting cars down there. Of course, they have to do it out of sight. They can't let anybody else see what they're doing. So they run the cars through the car wash whenever they're ready to take them to the used car lot. So later, when they look at who actually, um, the board of directors for Mid-City Insurance, the same people who are on that board, some of those same people own 
Gold Star Cab Company. Some of them own the Fleet Messenger Service. Some of them own the car wash. And some of them own a used car lot. So, it just all works out. Clearly, the new owners just bought the cab company as a front for their car smuggling. So, um, they get down to the basement. They see everything that's going on. Bess sees a, like, tape deck and some equipment. Nancy had checked the tapes in her father's office because she was thinking that maybe somebody had stolen a taped conversation between her father and a client. Which her father was like, I keep it under lock and key. I only record conversations with clients under their express permission. Like, I keep everything as secure as I possibly can. And when she goes in there, she actually listens to the tapes to make sure that nothing's been switched out and everything seems legit. So she's like, they didn't get it that way. This is before, of course, she knew about the bug. Um, They find a bunch of tapes, a bunch of people's recorded voices with all the information that they could ever possibly need to blackmail them. So... Bess is investigating that. Nancy goes deeper into the basement spooky paint place and finds Anne, who is locked up in a, like, parts cage, like in, which, again, was depicted on the front of the novel. Um, She's passed out. Her hands are bound and everything. So when Nancy comes up, they're the two guys, the two main bad guys are questioning her, and they're like, what's the name of your source? Who told you all this information? And so they, they catch, Nancy actually had unlocked the cage. Like Nancy got her lock pick out and got in there and was trying to get Anne to wake up when they came across him. And they were like, tell us who your source is. And Anne was like, and Nancy's like, she doesn't know, just leave her the fuck alone. And they were like, what if we shoot Nancy? And is that going to loosen your tongue? And Nancy's like, don't tell him anything. (laughs) Because, of course, as soon as Anne tells them, then their lives are forfeit. So, they lock Nancy in the cage, and they're like, we're going to come back, because I swear to God, anytime I've ever working on one of these books, I'm like, can we come up with a better reason other than, like, we're just going to let you think real hard about the fact that we're going to kill you when we get back to give you time to get out of the ropes that are binding your wrists, which is exactly what happens. Nancy finds some like leftover oil in a can and uses it to make her wrists really slippery so she can get them out of the ropes. She gets Anne out. Um, she, Bess actually at that point emerges from her where she was playing with the tapes and hands Nancy her lock pick so that Nancy can pick the lock and get out. Um, I think that Bess actually has to have Nancy walk her through it, but it's fine. Also, um, at that point, the bad guys come back, and Bess had just told Nancy that, oh, I've got, I grabbed a bunch of tapes that seemed significant to the case, and Nancy's like, you're the best, because Bess actually, like, put them in an envelope and stuck them under her shirt, which oddly, like, earlier in the scene, Nancy's like, Bess seems heavier, and I was like, fuck you, but also, like, it's because her shirt's a little bit bulkier, because she's got a, a thing full of tapes under it, so, um, the bad guys come up, and they're like, how many fucking teenagers are down here? <laughs> Because, of course, their group has gained a person, just magically. And Nancy's like, my boyfriend came and he's, he saw us down here and he went to go for the cops. And they were like, well, he's, he's not going to, it'll be fine. You're going to be long gone before he gets back. And eventually, um, Nancy's like, you know, you've got, you're going to have to beat a murder rap because you, you shot the judge. And Brownlee, the dis- dispatcher, is like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Nancy's like... Y'all shot him. Y'all planted listening devices in his house, and you shot him. You blew up Anne Granger's car. And 
Philip Reston's like shrug and the other guy's like what the fuck I didn't sign up for this shit like I just I'm good at stealing cars like that's what I am here for so Philip Reston is the one who's been doing all this shit like he hired the guy who planted the car bomb and he was like it was just supposed to scare her that guy just went overboard and Nancy's like yeah that's that's an acceptable way for you to talk about the fact that you almost blew both of us up yeah cool 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 um the judge like yeah he shot him because he was about to reveal what was going on and Brownlee's like I just don't know about this I just don't know um so Nancy manages to get loose I think that there is a judo chop involved maybe that is always the word that I use for martial arts judo chop um so they managed to get away from Reston and Ned comes in and Nancy's like thank god will you sit on this man while we go deal with this shit they go see Brownlee who is not sure exactly what to do like he doesn't want to be involved in murder but he also like there's a lot about him that could be revealed um eventually Nancy and Bess get out of there and go to the courthouse because again it's time for the pre-trial hearing so they walk in the judge uh is actually a judge that Bess spotted his name on the tapes and Bess is like fucking hell Nancy if he's also being blackmailed then there's no way that he's going to be lenient with your father and Nancy's like shit so they walk into the courthouse um the judge is just raising his gavel like he's about to pass judgment or sentence or whatever the fuck and Nancy's like so can we hang out for just one minute and so Carson Drew slash John Hamm turns around and is like I feel that my daughter who was also a detective the daughter of the man who invented toaster strudel by the look on her face, I feel that she may have found some interesting information. So Nancy and Bess walk in with a bunch of what they call Defense Exhibit ABC. So Nancy walks in and shows them a paperweight and explains how the listening devices were planted. And she's like, they're everywhere. They're every, They're all over this place. They're all over the courthouse. They're all over Judiciary Square. They're, they're in lawyers' offices. They're in your office, Judge. And he, of course, turns purple and is like, what the fuck? And Nancy's like... Their listening devices are in a white van, and that white van is parked outside, and I jammed all the locks on the way in, so you're welcome. <laughs> I was like, did she bring super glue? Like, explain, but anyway, it's fine. So they show the tapes, they show the, they talk about, oh, Nancy figured out that the way that they got Carson's fingerprints onto the envelope was that Carson would contribute to the coffee money fund. And so he would handle the envelope for the coffee money when he was putting his own money into it. And all they had to do was, because it was the fleet couriers, of course, um, they sent in a courier because, of course, they're seeing couriers all the time. They didn't even register that this was somebody who was not supposed to be there. That person just took the coffee money envelope, knowing that Carson's fingerprints would be on it, and just replaced it with another one, and nobody knew. So that's how that happened. Um, Nancy asks about Judge Rink, and she finds out that it was gambling debts, actually. Um, the picture that was taken of his wife when she was in the hospital, they're sitting at a card table with cards in their hand because that was like a, a restful activity that they used to have together. And of course, remember, he was playing his weekly car- poker games with Carson um, when they were at the hospital. Vera's Part of Vera's stay overlapped with Martha's stay. That was the name of Judge Rank's wife. And so he got to know the judge because... 
Philip Reston got to know the judge because he was stopping by to see Vera because, again, remember, they were paying outright for her hospital bills. And so he met the judge and sensed an opportunity. So, of course, they let him win at first, and then he started losing tremendously. And so they lent him money to pay back um, the gambling debt loans that he took out. Remember that he had collateral, his house was collateral on, but... Then they charged him interest, and they were like, well, one way that you can get over this is to basically say that Carson bribed you. So there's a bunch of stuff that they're just holding on people. They have bribed people in every single office that could have done anything about this. And Nancy mentions that in court. She's like, they had blank hack licenses. They are bribing somebody in the hack license office. Um, The the people who are taking the reports about like safety concerns and things like that, they are bribing somebody in that office because otherwise like there have been so many complaints against this cab company that they wouldn't have been allowed to operate anymore. So the people who give out the licenses for this kind of company, they're involved. Like there's, there's a lot of corruption that's happening. Um, they find out that the judge that's in charge of Carson's case, um, the thing that they had on him was that he had checked himself into a mental hospital. So they had evidence that that was what happened, and they would have released that to indicate that maybe he was not credible or trustworthy. And Carson's Carson is talking to Ann about it, and Ann's like, everybody knows that he did that. Like, it's I've got it in my file at work. Like, it's not a thing that we would report on, but it's also, like, really shitty for you to be like trying to throw that in somebody's face just saying just saying so also spoiler alert nancy located ned's car in the basement like while they were on their way out and she was like please sit on this henchman also your car's over there and Ned's like they painted my baby gold (laughs) and nancy's like i think it'll wash off um yeah yeah so that's how it ends. Carson is released. Um, Anne is writing a story that's exposing all the grift and corruption and organized crime that was happening about them stealing cars. And they were pulling out the ignition stuff from the board. And, and that's how they were stealing their cars. Of course, that is you hotwire that shit. That's how you do this. Nancy knows this. Nancy knows how to do this. We're going to we're going to read that book. Um, I think we already have actually. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's it. Um, Carson's released. His name is cleared. Um, I love that on the news reports about him, they're like internationally known criminal defense attorney. And you're like, yes, he is all of those things. He is John Hamm. He is every man and every woman simultaneously. But they're like, yeah, this is, this is going to be bad. This is going to leave a mark because of the nature of these books. Of course it doesn't. Like by the next book, his, he's back. His reputation is untarnished yet again. It's as though he has respawned. And in this new, slightly younger John Ham skin, no one remembers any of the sins that the past one didn't actually commit. So it's fine. Um, and of course, Nancy and Ned are like, now we can spend some quality time together. Like, it's really sweet because they have they have moments when they're like, oh, it's like we're actually on a date. Like they actually go out and get pizza and they and then they talk about the case because they're both interested in it and they get along so fucking well in this book. I don't think there's ever a moment where Nancy reveals to Ned that she was using his last name for her alias, but guess what bitch is probably gonna write that missing scene. So I'm just saying. 
next time when we pick up with season eight, we are going to be back in the mystery stories. So that's going to be exciting. Yes. So I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. It had everything for everyone. It had a black woman reporter standing up for her rights. It had Nancy taking Ned's last name, which is the most important of all the characteristics of this one. It had her being locked in a cage in the basement of a cab company. It had a cab company. It had Laurel and Hardy. It's just everything to everyone. Also, weird, suspicious things that you keep on your desk. Just, just weird, weird things. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. And as always... Stay sleuthy, my friends.